the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. I want to read the first eight verses. It says that it came to pass as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake Gennesaret. He saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and they were washing their nets. He entered into one of the ships, which was Simon, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. And when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a drought. Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. When they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. They beckoned unto their partners, which were the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O God. I want to look this morning at positioned to see a miracle. God, thank you so much for loving us in spite of us. Thank you for the precious blood of the Lamb that taketh away our sins, cleanses them, separated, never to be remembered again as far as the east is from the west. Thank you, God, that our name is written down in glory, never to be erased. But, Father, we got time on this earth, Father. I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd move in this place this morning. I thank you for your sweet Holy Spirit. I pray you continue to do a work among us, Father. I pray you'd speak to every soul in here, everybody on live stream by way of the airways. God, I pray that your spirit would move. I pray that you'd minister to us this morning. I pray you'd move our hearts and shape us, God. I pray you'd help us to see, God, that things aren't always what they seem. Sometimes what seems a disaster is simply a positioning of your hand. Sometimes what seems so difficult and so bad is nothing but you about to do something great. God, I pray you move this morning. Father, I pray most of all, may your perfect will be accomplished in everything that we do. We love you. You've been good to us, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I sent a text to the band this morning about position. Greg sent one back and he's talking about position. Being in the right position may not mean being in a comfortable position. The Bible says here that there's a large gathering of people. They're by the lake of Gennesaret. So they gathered around to hear Jesus teaching on the things of God. But over here to the side, there, there's some fishermen. They're, they're washing the net. Now, I'm, I'm, I've read the book. I'm not going to be guilty of adding to or taking away. I'm not adding anything to the word of God. I'm, I'm just kind of reading what, what I see here. It says there's some fishermen over here. They've been fishing all night. They're, they're washing nets, so they're working. So I don't figure they're paying a whole lot of attention to what Jesus is saying. I don't know that. It doesn't say that. I'm letting you know up front, a little paraphrasing, a little just what it looks like. They're, they're over there trying to, to get everything done, to get all their stuff squared away. What we do know from the story is that these men are professional fishermen. This is how they make their living. This is what they do on a nightly basis or a daily basis. This is how they take care of their family. And what we do know is that they have worked all night and they have caught Nothing. They have no fish to eat. They have nothing to sell to make money where they can provide and take care of their family. They have worked the graveyard shift all night long for nothing, so it would seem. It appears as though they have toiled and, and they have nothing to show for it. But here in our text, God is up to something. Huh. See, sometimes we have to find ourselves in a hopeless situation. 
Sometimes we have to work all night, toil all night, cry. Anybody been there? All night, pray all night. And come morning, it seems like you have nothing to show for it. The fishermen thought they had had a bad night. The fishermen thought that there's just not any fish here in this harbor tonight. And so now they're, they're still working. See, as a commercial fisherman in that day, nets is all they had. So the nets is their most important tool that they have, even more so than the boat. You can work a net from the bank. If you're going to be a commercial fisherman, they have to have these nets and these nets have to be cared for. It doesn't matter that, that they've been up all night. It doesn't matter that, that they've had a, a bad night. They have caught some trash in these nets. They've got the nets dirty. They've gotten them hung on some coral or some rocks and things and they pull loose and they, they've torn some holes and they've got to mend the nets and, and then they've got to fold them and put them all back up. It doesn't matter that they're exhausted. It doesn't matter that they're probably frustrated because they've had this long, hard, productive night. They're not through working until the nets have been cared for. The fishermen thought they were in a bad position. But the truth is, God is positioning them to see a miracle. Had their efforts been successful that night, they wouldn't have been cleaning the nets right here this morning. They would have been out selling their fish. They would have been cleaning fish and they would have been taking their money and, and dividing it up among them. They would have still had to clean the nets, but it would have been a completely different attitude. How many of you in here like to fish? Let me tell you something about fishing all night. What you catch matters. My, my dad and I have fished all night a lot of times. Growing up, man, I mean, that, that was the thing. If we went on any family vacation at night, we, we fished all night. And even as I got older, I fished all night a lot of times. And the ride home is 100% dependent on what you caught that night. If you caught a lot of fish, you caught some big fish, and you got people in the truck, you ride home together, the truck's buzzing with the stories and about the thing that caught, and the one that got, huh, man, I thought he was going off, he had me wrapped around that limb. Man, if it wouldn't have been for it, I mean, there's stories. But if you didn't catch nothing, by the time you get onto the road out of the boat ramp, the only one awake in that truck is the driver, and he's struggling. Because it's been, it's been a, a long night. See, these, these fishermen, they haven't caught anything. All they want to do is finish getting the nets repaired, put everything up, and, and take a nap. But Jesus sees them in their despair. <laughs> Somebody needs to write that one down. I didn't put it on your bulletin for you. Somebody's going to need that one to hold on to. Jesus sees them in their despair. So, so here they are, they're fatigued, they're worn out, they're ready to go home, and Jesus gets in Peter's boat. Time out. I got to tell you something else about a fisherman. That don't happen, Jack. You don't mess with no fisherman's boat. I realize they didn't have a $115,000 Phoenix with a Mercury 250 Optimax. I realize they didn't have Ranger bass boats in the day. I realize there's not $70,000 worth of electronics and fish finders on these boats. But it don't matter if it's a 10-foot John boat with a hole in the bottom of it and ain't got nothing but a paddle. You don't mess with the fisherman's boat. It's just a simple fact. 
If you've been fishing a bass tournament, you come to the weigh-in and you didn't catch anything, somebody's with you, you got to stay for the weigh-in, you're just a cheerleader. They're up there weighing in their fish. You ain't caught anything. You look down there and somebody's messing with your boat, there's about to be a discussion. It, it, it's not using something to say, hey, buddy, can I help you out? Listen, you don't go out expect to go ahead and find nobody in your car when we leave here, do you? you? You don't expect to come out of Walmart, come out of the grocery store, find somebody sitting on the hood of your car. You don't expect to come out and find somebody messing with your tires and fooling around and bending up on your windshield wipers. Now, you, you don't want nobody messing with your car, right? When it comes to fishermen, you take that and multiply it by about 100 because you don't mess with the boat. So, so there's, a, there's a series of things right here that Peter has to go through in order to be positioned to see a miracle. Number one, he had to fish all night and catch nothing. His situation had to be hopeless at the moment. Number two, he had to get the nets all washed and cleaned up and put up ready to be stored. There's a big difference. You remember what Jesus did after the resurrection when he's on the shore and they're out there and they're catching nothing. And Jesus says, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And it was a great catch of fish. And Peter said, it is the Lord. Jumped in and swam back. That's a whole different scenario. It's one thing to make one last cast before you go home. It's one thing to take the net and throw it in one more time. It's another thing. When you fished all night, you ain't caught nothing. You've already done all the work. You've already mended the net. You already folded and put them up. You're done fixing to go home. And now you've got to put the net back in the water again. Number three, Jesus got in his boat. That, that's a test of his own. The text says that Jesus prayed him. That word pray there, it means to request, but it also means to interrogate or to entreat. So it may be that Jesus may have had to have persuaded Peter a little bit to, to do this. Again, I'm not adding to the story. I'm just reading between the lines and seeing what the, the Greek meanings of some of these words are and, and what it says. But, but nonetheless, however the conversation went here, this stranger is getting in Peter's boat, and now he's asking him to, to launch out a little bit. So, so what we see, and, and here's the reason we can see what we see. Everybody paying attention? We know what we know because we have the whole story. We see Peter pushing out. We see Jesus in the boat. But we already know the story. We, we, we already know that, that Jesus is the Messiah. We already know that Jesus is the Son of God. We already know there's nothing that Christ can't do. We already know that Peter's going to catch a bunch of fish. We already know what's on the other side of the story. We already know that both boats are going to be filled with fish. We already know that Peter's going to forsake all and follow Christ. We already know that Peter's going to become an apostle. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We already know because we have the story. The same thing's true in your life. God already knows what comes next in the story. We're just focused on what's going on right now. We, we get focused on the problem. We, we get caught up in the current situation. And all we see is the hopelessness of it all at the moment. But God sees the whole picture. God's not just worried about where we are right now. God is working on getting us into a position to show us something that we've never seen before. Jesus begins to, to teach him. He's the master of everything. The winds and the seas obey him. He also understands acoustics. Those of you who raise your hand, you like to fish. Some of you may not like to fish, but you may have a boat. Anybody just love being on the water? Man, I just love being on the water. It's just this calm, serene peace. But there's one thing you better remember about the water. If you don't want it heard, you better not say it on the lake. Hey, hello. 
Water's like acoustics. See, in here, the carpet gathers up the sound. When the Easter play is set up, this stuff gathers up sound. They take it down. Y'all, can y'all hear that? See, y'all, I don't know if y'all hear it, but when I do that, it bounces off the walls. When those buildings are there, they, they absorb sound. When, when you're in the woods, it absorbs sound. The carpet, the grass, or, or the leaves, the trees, everything eats up the sound. When you're on the water, it just bounces like a megaphone. Jesus understands acoustics. He understands if he gets out a little bit, he can teach at a regular voice. And now everybody can hear him. So he has Peter push out a little bit so he can teach the multitudes. But Peter is in the boat with this man. Now, I was thinking about this. I, I wonder what Peter is thinking. Right, I, I'm thinking he's probably like Eutychus. Y'all remember Eutychus? He's the dude that when Paul was preaching at midnight, he sat up in the third floor window and he fell asleep while he was preaching and, and fell to his death. And Paul brought him back. I'm thinking Peter's about like that. I mean, I know how I've been on nights when I didn't catch nothing. And I'm like struggling to stay awake. I ain't going to get into it, but I have even wrecked a car and a bass boat. Sorry, Daddy. Total them out. I know what it's like to be trying to stay awake to get home from a very unproductive night. Peter's sitting here in a boat with him. And, and, and Jesus is, is teaching. But you, you understand Peter still ain't caught any fish. Peter's situation hasn't changed. He's still exhausted from fishing all night. And he, he still doesn't know who this man is that has got in his boat. He doesn't know his Messiah. He doesn't know his Redeemer. This is, just, this is just somebody. Verse number four, it says that when Jesus taught the multitude, he turns his attention to Peter. It says that, that he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. But, but, but there's an important part. He says, for a drought. He didn't just say let down your nets. There's a big difference between let down your net and for a drought. For a drought means you're about to catch something. For a drought means there's about to. He don't say let down your nets and see. Let down your nets and let's find out. Let down your nets and wonder. He says let your nets down. And here's what he says. I'm promising there's going to be some fish in them nets. You, you let them down, and, and there's going to be this great haul of fish. Now, you got to back up and remember, these men are professional fishermen. They do this every night. In their mind, there's not a fish in this harbor. If there was, I would have caught it. We've already washed the nets. We've already mended them. If we put them in the water again, even though we're already tired, even though we're exhausted, when we get back, we're going to have to do all that again before we can go home. Do, do you understand Peter, Peter's predicament here? See, yesterday, Peter's not in a position to see a miracle. Peter's going fishing tonight. And, and in the morning, he's going to sell his fish. And he's going to have fish. And he's going to have money. And he's going to have... It's just another day. Last night, Peter was not in a position to see a miracle. You know why? He's fishing. And let me tell you something else about a fisherman. We don't need your help. You want to make a fisherman mad, try to tell him how to catch a fish. I can just tell you straight up, especially anybody that's fish, pro circuit tournaments at a professional level at anything. We don't take kindly to you trying to tell us how to fish. All the fishermen go and say amen. You ain't no different. Listen, until we have, have, have been to every spot we know and fished in some other places we didn't know just because they look good and thrown everything in the boat, we ain't through yet, so we don't need your help. 
once we have been to every place that we know and have thrown everything in the boat, he ain't in that water because if he was, I would have caught him and I don't need you telling me how. I'm not fixing to put my boat back in and go back out there just because you got some whim-brained idea that if I go over there, I might catch a fish. Y'all understand, fishermen don't necessarily need help. For Peter, for Peter to put these nets back in the water, I, mean, I got to do this all over again. I got to put them back in. I got to drag them. I got to hoist them. I got to do all the work. I got to pull them back up, put them back in the boat. I got to go back. I got to wash them. I got to do, do it all over again. Do you understand Peter's position here? He, he's not yet in a position to see a miracle, but he's being positioned by God. Now, Obviously, the words that Jesus spoke to him right here when he was teaching from the boat must have meant something but because the very first word that Peter says to this man, we don't have a discussion about the boat or anything else. The very first word that we see is master. He refers to Jesus as master. You think great start right off the bat, but, but that, that word there is epistatus. It's a word that means teacher or commander. So he's not calling him Lord. He's not calling him Messiah or Redeemer or Almighty God. He's just saying, teacher, you do understand that this is what I do for a living. I fished all night long. I ain't even caught a brim. But it's okay. Just because you want me to put the net back in the water again. I'm going to take this net and I'm going to put it in. But now you do understand I'm going to have to wash them again, don't you? Okay. I, I, I'm going I'm to put them back in, but, but you do understand I'm going to have to mend the holes and fix them. I'm going to have to do all that over again, right? Oh, okay. I'm going to put the net in. But, but you do understand that I'm already exhausted. I'm, I'm worn out, right? You, you, you understand that? Oh, okay. Okay. You understand. I, just because you said so, teacher, I'm going to put this net back in the water. I don't know that Peter's in the right frame of mind here. I don't think Peter has one expectation of catching a fish. He's already fished the most productive time of the day, and that is the night and the early morning when net fishing. Now he's out in the daytime. The sun's up. When the fish can see the net, it's a whole different parameter. I don't think Peter is in the right frame of mind. I don't think he's letting down the net because he expects to catch anything. He's only letting down the net because this teacher said to. Somebody needs to be paying attention. Sometimes you and I can't see the miracle because we're not in a position to see a miracle yet. We're catching fish. We got a couple dollars in our pocket. We, we, we got a roof over our family's head. We're, we're, we're not sick. Think, things seem to be going pretty well. See, Peter wasn't in a position to see a miracle yesterday. Peter wasn't in a position to see a miracle last night. Peter wasn't in a, miracle, in a position to see a miracle first thing this morning until all of the work has been done and the nets have been put up. He wasn't in a position to see a miracle until everything in his life has gone wrong over the past few hours. And now he's faced with a decision. Will I do what this man says or not? Now, now he has a choice to make. Another little spot on your notes there if you want to look at it. But, but Peter has some, some circumstances right here. Once his circumstances have created a condition, it is his circumstances, the things that have happened in his life that, that have brought him to this point. Once his circumstances have created a condition, now his choices will determine his position. Peter still has a choice to make. 
He's been positioned to see a miracle. But if he don't let down this net, he's not going to see anything. He's been positioned by God through trials, through tribulation, through circumstances. He has been positioned by God to see a miracle. Y'all with me? But if he's going to see anything, there must be an act of obedience on his part. He's been through the necessary trials. He's been brought to a spot. The choice is now his. Let down the net. God's put him in a position to see something amazing, something mighty. But he's got to make a choice. This seems simple enough to us, right? All you got to do is just let the net back down in the water. We've already just spent a lot of time looking at it. It's not quite that simple. It's not just one more cast to the rod before I put it up and go home. It's not just take the net and wet it one more time. It's get everything back out. He says, but nevertheless, even though this is going to be work, and even though I have no expectations of catching any fish, just because you said so, teacher, I'm going to let the net down. Verse 6 says, when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes. Their net break. They beckoned to their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. Man, can't you just imagine the scene here? These men had never seen nothing like this. They just fished in this harbor last night. They didn't get a fish in the net. They didn't even get a minnow in it. They have nothing to show for it. And now they put them in. They're trying to get the nets up. And the fish are jumping in the net. They can't even get it out. The nets are breaking. The fish won't get out of the net. They just keep trying to get in. They holler, hey, hey, they're calling the partners. Need you guys to come out. They come over. They got both. Both boats and, and you got all this situation there. They're trying to get them in this boat and they're trying to get them in that boat. And the harder they're trying to get them out of the net, the more the fish are jumping in the net. All of a sudden, somebody says, wait, 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 wait. We're sinking. We're sinking. The boat don't put no more fish in the boat. We're sinking. And you got all this franticness going. Is that a word? Franticness? Sounds like a word. Hey, all this franticness going on. And, and, and Peter and all this franticness and they're singing. He, he turns to look at Jesus like, what are we doing? Jesus is like, Told you it's gonna be a drought. <laughs> told you you're gonna catch some fish. I, I, I told you if you just just let 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 the nets down. See, all of a sudden, the franticness stops. Peter, when he realizes what had happened, says that he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, and here it is. It's not epistatus. It is, oh, Lord. The, the word here is choreos. It means supremacy. <laughs> Supreme authority. Lord, God, master controller of all things. It's not just teacher, I'll do what you say. It is, Lord, you're holy. Lord God omnipotent, Lord God almighty, Lord God all powerful. There is nobody can do the things like you to see. Many times we're not in a position to see a miracle because for the sake of embarrassment, we're not willing to put ourselves out there. We're not willing to get the nets back out and try again. We're not willing, even though that we know God has given us something to do, we're not willing to do it because we don't know how to work. Or maybe we've already tried. I mean, look, God, I've already put the net in the water and it didn't work, God. So why do you want me to put it by? Oh, I'm just being real. Y'all be holy if you want to. You've been there. I've already tried that. It didn't work. 
Anybody in here still awake? I don't, I don't necessarily mean to use stories from my own life, but I have to. If number one, if I'm talking about sin and things done wrong, I'm not going to pull yours up because I got too much of my own. I'm not going to drag your past into this because I got my own. But when it comes to things that you've seen in your life, I have some of the stories that you've told me, and I believe the stories that you told me, and God's shown you amazing things, but I have my own stories. I've seen God do things that I don't even know how to explain but God. I've seen God do, do miracles in my life. And, and, and here's, here's what I was watching the case for Christ <laughs> the other night. And, and if you haven't watched the case for Christ, it's about an hour and 15 minute documentary. He, 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 he's an atheist. And he sets out to prove God wrong. And he goes through all the studies and he talks to some incredible people. He's trying to find out this. He's trying to disprove this book. He's trying to disprove this gospel. He's trying to disprove the man that this gospel's about. He's trying to disprove the resurrection. And the harder you'll try to study to disprove anything in this book, the more the Holy Spirit of God will show you the truth of this book. And, and so he's trying to disprove this book, and, and he keeps finding this stuff. And, and then finally, towards the end, he's, he's, been, he's getting converted. His, his mind is changing some now. And he's like, man, how, you know, you've got to have eyewitness for anything to be the truth. And he talks about the, the disciples. He talks about the apostles. He says, these men are eyewitnesses. You, you don't surrender everything in your life over a whim. You don't just give up everything that you've always known over a story that somebody else told. You don't, after the resurrection, if you didn't see the resurrection, you don't spend the rest of your life traveling around trying to tell the world about the resurrection. If you didn't see it yourself, you are not going to be willing to die a martyr, crucified upside down, killed with a sword, beheaded, sawn in two. You're only willing to do that because you know what you have seen. You believe what you have seen and your mind cannot be changed because you saw it. Yesterday, I'm, I'm preparing to, to, to preach this today and I'm, and I'm reading, I read the Bible through in a year together. Yesterday, Luke 24 I think it's verse 48. Jesus, this is after the resurrection. This is in preparation just prior to the ascension. Jesus tells the disciples, you know what you've seen. I'm paraphrasing again. You know what you've seen. Go tell the world what you've seen. So, so I, don't, I don't know how it's doing except tell you what I've seen. I, I'm not going to have time to even scratch the surface. But I can tell you one uh, about Costa Rica. I don't know. I've been there 30 plus times. Costa Rica and Panama. I love to tell you about Yamakebujo. Raquel's the only other one that knows what I would even begin to try to tell you. But there's, there's no way to get all that story in. But so we, we were at Palma Norte, Costa Rica. We had gone down to do a, 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 a revival there. They don't have revivals over there. They don't have traveling preachers, traveling singers. We carried a sound system from here. We carried all kinds of stuff. And we converted a gym into a church. The Catholic school-owned church let us use it to preach the gospel. You can see the power of God just in that alone. But, but one of the groups that we brought in, we have five churches in Costa Rica in different regions. And we're bringing our five churches together. And, and one of them is Pastor Didier Sanchez. He's up in Cabagra. is up the mountains. People coming to this revival from there, some of them are walking up to six hours 
through the mountains to get to Cabagra, to get in a little four-wheel drive Toyota truck with cattle guards, stuff 25 or 30 in a four-wheel drive truck for an hour and a half ride down a rough mountain, rugged terrain to get them this one little state. It's called a truck stop at, at Brujo. It's in the middle of nowhere. The next nearest place is Norte, where we are, and it's over an hour away. They come down, they get on school buses. The first night we had three school buses there. They couldn't get everybody on it. So they had to leave some people. So the next night we send four buses and we get them there. And, and they, these buses, these particular buses, they seat about 45 people each. So you do the math there. That's 180 people that we can bring on four buses. So it's the third night of the revival. People's going to be tired, right? They'll never bring as many. The, the preacher himself said, Lord, forgive me my faith because it showed up with so many. He wasn't expecting many to come back. We, we had prepared food and understand you're in the middle of nowhere. There's a few little stores, but you don't buy a lot of the kind of stuff we needed. So we brought a lot of supplies with us from San Jose, Costa Rica, brought it down. We're about out. So we're going to buy stuff. They show up that night with 232 people on four buses, standing in the aisles, packed like sardines. Now, I know there's 232 for two reasons. Pastor Didier Sanchez counted them when he was putting them on the bus because he knew we needed to know how many because we were preparing meals for them. Because you understand, after church, they got an hour and a half ride back in a bus and get into this little four-wheel drive. They got an hour and a half ride back up the mountain. They got up to a six-hour walk back home through the mountains. I mean, they left at lunch today to come to the revival tonight, and they ain't get home till daybreak tomorrow. So we don't want them to faint along the way. So just this group of people, we're separating them out. We're carrying them over. It is, um, let's see, Iglesia Bautista de Palmonote, Pastor Renufro is a pastor there, house is next door. So the women, we go buy all the stuff, and they fix this big old bowl of arroz compojo. We, we, we're going to put it, it's, it's just, it's, that sounds so awesome, doesn't it? It's rice and chicken. And that, that's like the delicatessen, my favorite, but probably on, anyway. So, so we're giving this big spoon these nights. So it's the third night. And, and you know, it's, it's going to be less than 180. And, and we have enough of everything until they show up. And we have a greeter at every bus. So that when they come off, we, get, we ain't got a lick of Spanish. Y'all know that, right? I mean, this is a lot of years ago. I mean, I got like five Spanish words in my whole arsenal. And ain't none of them helping me right here. But we got somebody there greeting them off the bus. But what they're really doing is counting because we need to know how many get off that bus. We got 232 people get off the bus. Well, that worked well since Pastor Didier Sanchez told us 232 people got on the bus. That means nobody fell out the window on the way. So we still have everybody present accounted for. So, so the problem is we don't have enough food and we don't have to go boxes. We're in the middle of nowhere. You don't go buy the go boxes. I, they send me to go find the go box. I'm like, yeah, right. I'm going to these little stores. They have no reason even having a go box. And, and I'm going by this one place. And I see somebody come out of a Chinese liquor store that speaks Spanish, carrying it a go box. Hey, so here I am, redneck, hoganese and all, trying to buy some, some empty to-go boxes. And, and they're looking at me like, I mean, communication barrier is a big deal. So I'm sitting there trying to tell him what I'm wanting. He, he's pointing at the menu. I'm like, no, 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 no. Finally, the, the, this other person comes in. They come up to the counter. And, and I step aside. And, and he hands her the go boss. I say, hey, that, that's what I want. Hey, oh, see, see. He points at the menu. No. No, I want, I want this. And she takes it and walks out. I'm like, I, I, want, I, want, I want that. That. You see, he, he points at the menu. No. 
And so so I finally, we finally get the point across that all I need, uh, one of my few words was, was, was quantos. He finally holds up a box. I said, quanto. I just picked up that and I said, quantos. All I want to know is how much is this box? And he points at the menu. I'm like, no. Quantos. So, so he gives me a prize. And I said, mucho. mucho. I, I said, I, I, I want a bunch of them. And he gives me two or three more. I'm like, no, no, no. No, grande. So I get out of about 15. And that's all I'm getting. You understand these little stores, that's probably, he probably have about five left. And he's got to run his Chinese liquor store. Everybody in there ain't buying liquor, right? So I carry my few little ones back, and we get all the packs out, and we count. We've got 200. And can, can I just tell you something right here? God's still doing the same miracles today that he did in this book. See, we don't recognize them because they look different. The numbers aren't the same. The names aren't the same. The locations aren't the same. But God is the same. Yesterday, today, forever. He doesn't change. He's still doing the same miracles. I didn't see 5,000 men plus women and children fed with five barley loaves and two small fishes and 12 baskets of fragments left over. I didn't see 4,000 men plus women and children fed with seven barley loaves and a few fishes and seven full baskets left over. What I saw was more people get off a bus, eat and get on a bus than what I had food for. 232 people get off. We got 216 plates of food. We've counted all the boxes, and now we've got an assembly line. There's five of us. One of them's taking the box out, handing it to him. He's putting a scoop of Arroz Composio in it. He's handing it to him. He's putting a little pack with the plastic fork and stuff in it. He's handing it to him who's closing the box, handing it to me. And I'm stacking them in numbers of 10, praying somehow, God, this number multiplies. And we get through, how many think we got? 216. So, so we take them and we got some pasteboard boxes. We're going to put them in and carry them out. There's a place where we're serving everybody. There's this big drainage ditch. It's like a Russian mighty river in the rainy season, which is most of their year. But this time of year, it's just a big drainage ditch with a bridge over it. I'm standing on the edge of the bridge. Somebody's over here to, to hand it to me. I'm handing it to him. He's handing it over. And then the fifth person is over handing box juices, which we bought every box juice anywhere around. We, we had enough of those, but we didn't have enough. So, so I counted them when we had boxes. We counted them in stacks of 10. We put them in here in stacks of five. We carry them out again. And, and listen, here, here's the problem. I can tell a story and you don't have to believe it and it ain't going to matter. You can't change the facts. You can't change what happened. People don't have to believe. You just can't miss what God does. There's 216 boxes of food. There's 232 people that get off the buses. We're in the middle of a dead end road and I'm thinking this is going to be a great place to become a statistic. These people, by the way, they're, they're native Nobay Indian. I mean, um, Bribri Indians. The Nobays are at Yamokebuho, Panama. They're native Bribri Indians. They ain't never heard probably a word of English, and we sure can't speak their Spanish. They're getting off at the end of this dead-end road down here by where the church is, a dirt road, and I'm just taking a box, and I'm handing it. I'm taking a box, and I'm handing it, and handing them out. And, and the whole time, I, I am... I, I, I mean, it's not like I'm kind of crying. I'm, I'm, I'm crying. My heart is broke. This book tells me that last shall be first and first shall be last. 
This book tells me that, that the one that is patient, the one that just trusts God, the one that stays back, God will supply their every need. That's what it tells me. And I'm sitting there going, God, our translators went home yesterday. There ain't a handful of Spanish words among all of us. How am I going to tell the last 16 people I'm sorry? How am I even going to look them in the eye? How are we going to say, that's it? There is no more. You 16 just have to go get back on your buses. You didn't get anything. Sorry you stayed in the back of the line. Sorry for your long-suffering and your patience. I have nothing to give you. I don't even know how to apologize to them. And I'm just praying. I'm tore up. And I'm, we probably all are because we ain't communicating. We, we just, man, just pray and hand it out. And now I got one in both hands and he ain't taking it. And I'm like, hey. And, and he looks at one up there and he says, that's it. I'm like, fine, take the box with us. He's, got, he's like, that's it. I said, that's it what? He said, that's it. There ain't no more people. That's why I know there's people still got food left. Y'all got to love a Baptist in this faith, right? He said, there's no more people. And I look, and there ain't nobody in the line. So, so I go with my little handful of words, and I get on the first bus. I look at the driver, because we want everybody to look at the driver. I said, come Oh, see, see, muchas gracias, muy bien, muchas gracias. I'm like, everybody? Everybody, and I step out, and I'm looking as people stand in the aisles. I'm trying to look and see around them. And everybody's all CC. I do it four times. I go to all four buses. And it's the same result. Everybody's eating. There's 232 people. We had, we had 216 plates of food, period, end of story. We are 16 plates short. You know what the number 16 represents in the Word of God? Love. The only reason we went there is because we love some people we ain't ever met. They speak a different language, come from a different place, they're different colors, everything about them is different. We just went over because we love them enough that we wanted them to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they might not ever have another way. So we're 16 plates short. I go back over here, I cross over a little bridge, and I count, and I've got 16 plates left. Still love, right? That means we had 32 plates too many. We, we had 16 that we fed that we didn't have, and we got 16 left. You know what the number 32 is in the Word of God? It's a covenant. And here's what God's telling you. If you'll just go where I tell you to go and do what I tell you to do, here's my covenant for you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you will just call unto me, I will answer thee. I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. If you'll just surrender to my call, surrender to my, if you will just put the net back in the water, just get in the boat. That, 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 listen, I, I wish I had time to tell you about Yamoke Buho. It, I, I'll tell you this. Let, let me give you another comparison to a miracle in the Word of God. First Kings chapter 19. Uh, Elijah is about to go on a journey. He don't know about it. God does. God tells him, arise and eat. And, and then he tells him a second time. He says, arise and eat. God, God sets food before him in the wilderness. And he says, arise and eat. And, and so Elijah gets up and he eats what he has right then. Here's what Elijah doesn't know. That's his last meal for 40 days. Days. What the Bible says is that God told him to eat, and it says that he ate, and they went on the strength of that meat 40 days. What happened to us going in that night up on that mountain with those stars is the power of God. I can't even begin to tell you to begin to describe what happened up on that mountain. 
five hours away from the closest dirt road that even resembles anything about civilization. But here's what I can tell you. God gave us going in what we were going to need to get us through because we went through borderline hell on earth for four days trying to build that little house in a 116 degree heat index with two people, Rich Pike and I, Raquel over handing her stuff and two missionary girls, Maureen and Diana, doing what they can to try to help. All I'm telling you, and sometimes you got to put yourself in a place to see a miracle. We haven't seen miracles in our lives because we're very comfortable in our lives. I'm, I'm not saying you got to go on a mission trip. I'm, I'm not saying you got to go on a mission trip to see a miracle. That, that night there at, at Pominorte, there, there was five men there. But we're just like these fishermen right here in this story. You can't change what we saw. You can't change what happened. And it's just like this book. You can believe it or not, but you can't change it. Whether you believe it or not doesn't change the blood of Jesus or the power of God or the miracles that he's capable of or the things that he has in store for your life. You can choose to believe it or not. There are people out there who are lost and will hear this gospel and reject it and will die and go to hell, not because the book's not true, but because they didn't believe the book. So whether or not people believe the story does not change the facts. And, and that's how the five of us were. It doesn't matter who thinks we went to the wrong school and can't count math. I'm pretty good at math. I ain't good at much. But I can count that high. Well, I, I, I'm just... I, I just want us to see that God is still in the miracle working business. He, he, he's, he's the... The same God, he's still doing the same miracles. Here's the deal. It's not Peter. It's not John. It's not Elijah. It's not Jeremiah. It's not Jerusalem. It's not Gennesaret. It's not the Sea of Galilee. It's not Caesarea. It's LaGrange, Georgia. And it's your name. It, it's Hogansville. It, it, it's Greenville. It, it, it's Meriwether County, it, it's Franklin, and it's your life. It's your story. God did not stop doing miracles the day you and I got born. Sometimes he just has to change our position to see the miracles. We're very comfortable in our lives. We're very comfortable in our, sorry, padded church pews. We're very comfortable. I'd be a little more comfortable if the air conditioner was a little higher right now. We're, we're very comfortable in our, in our temperature-controlled environments. But, but if we want to see what God has in store for the church that he plans to use, we're going to have to push some boats back out into some deep water, quit wading around in the shallows where it looks safe to dwell, and set out into the depths out there and let God set sail on high water and just trust him. We're going to have to go out and put the nets back down in the water in order for us to be positioned to see a miracle. I, I, I realize I realize I guess nobody but Raquel's probably been to Palmonorte. Anybody ever been, I mean, not Palmonorte, but Yamokebujo. Anybody else ever been to Yamokebujo, Panama? I promise you have. You ain't forgot it. It's not a place I think I might have been, though. You deliberately went there. I, I realize that there, there are a handful that's been to Palmonorte. We've done a lot of trips to Costa Rica and Palmonorte. And 
we'll actually go through Palma Norte. You get to see the sites when we're there of where all, all that took place when we're there. I like to show people where we've seen miracles. I wish I had time to tell you about Cabagra, the first church we built there and the movement of God. I, I just don't. All, all I can tell you, it, it doesn't matter. You may have never been on a mission trip. You don't have to. You may have never been out of, 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 out of America. You never put yourself. But I can tell you this, you have fished all night. Everybody in here at some point, it may not have been actual fishing, but we have labored all night. Been heartbroken all night. Prayed all night. Cried all night. Only to see the sun come up and everything still looks the same. It, it seems, we've been through a long night where it seems like nothing has happened. You, there, there's people in that place right now. There's people struggling right now. There's some, some people right now that are in a position to, to, to see a miracle. All I can tell you is just hold on to your faith. The, the, the Word of God tells us that weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. It's coming. Sometimes we just got to get in the right position to see it. At the moment when we think everything is hopeless, you may have just arrived at the place where you needed to get to in order to be positioned to see God do something great. The text says, when Simon saw he fell down at Jesus' knees, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He was astonished in all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. See, see once Peter's position has been changed, once, once he has seen God do the impossible in his own life, he says that when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. What is it in our life that we're holding on to? And if that's what it takes to see a miracle, I'm not going to let go of it. What, what is it that, that we have in, in our life that, that is keeping us from doing? Are, are we willing to step out of our comfort zone? Uh-oh, uh-oh. You ain't going to meddle now, boy. Are we willing to step out of our comfort zone in order to put ourselves in an uncomfortable zone so that we might be in a position to see God do things you can't explain? If Peter, if Peter don't let this net down right here in this text, he doesn't see nothing. He's been through the storm. He's been through the trial. He's been through the long night. He's cleaned the nets. He's let Jesus teach from his boat. He's launched out into the deep. But if he doesn't let down the net, there is no miracle. He comes back with the same dejection. He comes back with the same problem. Tim, you guys come on up. I, I, I've asked the Pemberton's to, to sing a, a, a song. The, the, the question is, are, are we positioned this morning to see God do a miracle? See, it, it may not be a very comfortable position. God, God may have to get us out of, of our comfort zone. Mark chapter 4, while these guys are coming up, there, there's another story. It, I, I'll just share this with you real quick while, while they're getting ready to sing this song. 
There's another story that involves a boat. It involves the disciples. And it involves Jesus. They're on the shore. Jesus is teaching the multitude and everything is great. Jesus sends the multitude away and everything is great. Jesus gets in the boat with them and they set sail according to the scripture to go to the other side and everything is great until the storm showed up. So real quick, there's two positions in this boat. One of them is at perfect peace in spite of the storm and that's Jesus. He's asleep in the boat. The rest of them are frantic and afraid they're going to die because while Jesus sees the power of God, all they see is the problem. And they're so focused on the problem. The Bible says that the boat was full. That means that it's just about to sink. And they woke him up and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? The Bible says that Jesus rebuked the winds and the sea. They obeyed him. The Bible uses the word great calm. There, oh, thank you. It says there was a great calm. You did good because that ain't in my notes, so I know you just had to hunt that up. There was a great calm. Another story. Another repositioning. Another miracle. Different name. Different time. Same God. Some of you need a miracle in your life. Some of you need to surrender. Some of you need to say, okay, here am I, Lord. Send me. Some of you need to step up to whatever ministry it is that God's calling you to do in this church. Some of you need to step up and be the witness that God's called you to be at work. Some of us, all of us, there's not one in here that is a child of God who God does not have a call on your life, a plan for your life, a purpose for your life, and a plan to show you something amazing. It's up to us to push out and let down the net.